Good morning. Do we have a couple visitors here? Maybe they want to introduce themselves. Oh, that's Dave Finnegan. Oh, yes. Good to see you guys. Well, good. We're here again. Let's um, open in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you again for our time this morning. Thank you that we can be here, that we can gather together as your people, that we can be challenged by what your word tells us and that it will do what you have set it out to do, and that is to divide down even to the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Allow us to be impacted by that. May your words accomplish in our lives exactly what you would have for your glory and our good. May we be more Christ-like because of it. And may the world around us and those who know us see Christ in us that they might be convicted about sin and about the reality that without Christ there is no salvation. May these things be honor to you this morning in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are returning to our lesson four. Um, I don't know if there were extras. There probably were. If you didn't, if you don't have a paper, there may be some in the back on the chair. No, everybody's got one. Finnegan's, you have one or no? You don't have one. Are there some back there? You might want one. It just helps keep track of where we're going. Uh, last uh, week, we were in began lesson four, talking about our roles as parents or as disciplers, really. Um, and this is going to take us really through the end, the the roles, um, differing roles that we have as disciplers, particularly in the home as parents. And we talked about um, really the issue of boundaries is really what we were dealing with. If you would just take your Bibles for a moment and turn back in them to Proverbs. I just want to start our time again, um, having these impactful passages on our mind as we think about other these boundaries that we are to set. Um, Remember Proverbs 13. And uh, verse 24. He who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Um, Really, the literal Hebrew of that verse says, seeks him diligently with discipline. He who loves him seeks him diligently with discipline. A similar idea, really, to Ephesians 6, where he is, it's a continual practice. It's this active, ongoing reality. 
But it's striking that God would use such vivid language there for us. The reality of hating your own children. Hating them because simply because of an unwillingness or a neglect or a desire to not willfully do what is required of us as Christians, as people. Boundaries, that's, that's really the idea that's there, right? He who hates his son is one who doesn't set up a boundary. That would be the idea. The rod of discipline is a system of, or a, uh, the idea of measurement, a boundary system. Um, we talked about unbiblical discipline last time and gave several uh, outcomes of unbiblical discipline or what it does when we do that. And really we're, we're discussing the whole idea of hatred. Unbiblical discipline hates his son. To not do what God says in our home or in our discipleship relationships when it comes to our kids is tantamount to hating them. Now, none of us would say that we hate our children. None of us want to be thought of as those who hate our children. And yet that's the idea. Structure, not having boundaries. Um, we see this very prevalent in our society today, particularly here in America, if not around the world, even though it may not be called these things, but we see the lack of application of enforcement, don't we? Right? No enforcement. Here's the boundary. Here's the rule. Here's the structure. And yet no enforcement happens. Um, that is a dangerous, dangerous way to live. Let alone the fact that it goes against what God says. In fact, Proverbs 19 and verse 18, we looked at also was, says, discipline your son while there is hope. And do not desire his death. There's, there, there it takes it even farther. When you are unwilling to, to do what's required to enforce boundaries, to set up boundaries, and yet, as we'll look at over the next coming weeks, to enforce those boundaries, you actually are desiring the worst for your children. Desiring their death. You don't just hate them. You hate them in the worst kind of way. You actually want them dead. So Ephesians, as we began this whole study, Ephesians 6.4 was bringing up our children under the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, that's going to take discipline. That's going to take boundaries. We don't want them to go their own way. 
So if unbiblical discipline, as your notes say, depends excessively on the wrong kind of correction, correction without a balance of instruction, because Ephesians 6, 4 says, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, right? If it's done in anger or with selfish motives, um, or if it's completely withheld, if you have quote-unquote boundaries, but those boundaries have no, no consequence, no no teeth. It's like a law without teeth. A law without teeth is not a law at all. A rule without consequences is not a rule. It's just words. So if those are unbiblical, then what does biblical discipline look like? Well, the first reality here is that biblical discipline is loving. It is loving. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 5 through 15 give us a clear picture of God's love for us. Right? When we have difficulty, when we struggle, when we going through all the troubles of life, when when life gets hard. And the writer of Hebrews shows how life hard can get by showing the those who were faithful in chapter eleven, verse thirty-seven, he says, They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they were went about in sheepskins and in goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, people of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered around in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. I mean, life can get bad. Life can get really painful, struggle. Sometimes we think our own parenting is the hardest thing we've ever done in life. Well, I mean, that verse alone tells us that there's no list there. That there's no part of that list that says parenting. You know, parenting is a privilege given to us by God. Right? So it doesn't matter how hard life gets. God has provided something better for us, it says in verse 40 of that same chapter. Right? So we are to focus our eyes on Christ, basically. It's saying there in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, consider him who endured all these things so that we don't grow weary. He says, in your resistance, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood against sin, verse 4, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. So here's what God says to us as his children. Here's what a loving father has said. My son, do not regard lightly discipline. This is how God deals with us. This is how God disciples us. Don't regard lightly my discipline. Don't faint when you're reproved by me. For those whom I love, I discipline. I scourge every son that I receive. Verse 7 and following gives us the ideas of what we get out of that. It's for discipline that we endure. 
God deals with you as with sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? See, the writer of Hebrews takes the verse in Proverbs and and takes it a whole nother step. It says, it's absolutely unthinkable that a father or a mother wouldn't discipline their children. It's unthinkable. What father is there who doesn't do this? Because if you're without discipline, of which we've all become partakers because we know God, if you're without discipline, then you're an illegitimate child, not a son. That's why he says in verse 9, we had earthly fathers that disciplined us, and we respected them. How much more shall we respect the father who subjects us to these things? Discipline may seem for a short time best to them. He disciplines us for our good. Why me? We might share in his holiness. So endurance, holiness, and all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet those who are trained by it afterwards, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. So God disciplines us. For endurance, God disciplines us for holiness, disciplines us for righteousness. Biblical discipline is loving. The Lord corrects those whom he loves, and his loving discipline brings benefit to our life. Benefit to our life. So we as parents, as Ephesians chapter 5 says, we are to be imitators of God. We are to walk in love as Christ loves us. If we're to walk and be imitators of God, then we have to have this loving discipline in our life because for two reasons. One, because God commands it of us. And secondly, because it brings benefit to those under our control or under our Uh, I should say, under our counsel, whoever God gives us, our little sphere of influence teaches submission. It teaches self-control. So if if we're going to be wise, if we're going to be followers of God, if we're going to do what we are to be doing, then we need to be setting thoughtful, conscientious boundaries comes to disciplining our children. We need to have conscientious, wise boundaries, limits set for them that are going to produce these helpful benefits. What are the beneficial boundaries? What are the beneficial boundaries? beneficial limits. What do they do? What do they provide for overall? Well, first they provide a good setting for learning, a good setting for learning. If you're following in your notes, that's number I there, or at least in mine, it's I good setting for learning. In other words, when we set boundaries in our own homes, boundaries within anything, it, It allows us to systematically work on character. Good habits build character, build conduct. 
right? You, in your own homes, you have developed, produced, one way or another, where you thought about it or not, you have in your home some kind of schedule that is teaching those under your care something. They're either learning how to be responsible to take care of the daily activities that they need to take care of, or your rules have no teeth. Your boundaries have no teeth. They're stated, maybe, but they don't do anything. Those house rules, those house boundaries are going to differ based on your preferences in your own home. I remember when our kids were small in the home. I don't know about you, but I I don't like whining. You know, this is a favorite pastime of small kids, kids that grow up. They love to whine. You know, it's that fingers on a chalkboard noise that nobody likes, and yet seems to me parents put up with it all the time. It's crazy. Whining in the home can be in the form of just that noise, or it can be in the form of an attitude that they're expressing that doesn't like what you've told them. Right? Well, without, and we'll get into this farther down the road, but without any consequence on that boundary, they're not going to learn what you're hoping they would learn about being responsible, teaching them what they need to know. The Bible doesn't tell us how often we should wash our hands, how often we should brush our teeth, how often we should groom ourselves in our daily living, and yet when your children are small, he has given you as parents the privilege and the responsibility of deciding those things in your own home. How to do whatever, the tasks of daily life. And your child is to obey you. They are to do what you say, if not for the simple reason, because it's right. Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But it's right, right? Submission. So all of these these boundaries, these rules, these stru- the structure that you have developed within your own home builds in them this beneficial reality of understanding submission to authority. Is there a problem with that in our society today? Submission to authority. Where do you think that started? Pete. Well, that's true. It's true. And it may, it may not even be a reality that they were trained that way, but they are being trained that way in our society by society. Because society loves whiners. Right? We have a saying, even when I was in the military, what was the saying? Some of you who are in the military. The squeaky wheel what? Gets the grease. If you whine enough, people go, okay, whatever. That's the societal thing we live with today. We have a society that's 
if the squeak you squeak enough, everybody will just succumb to that. I mean, we see that at infinitum in our society, particularly with all kinds of bizarre things being accepted in our society today. It's not because they're right. It's not because people were trained in that. It's because we want our sin, we want it the way we want it, and we're going to whine about it until we get it. And when there's no consequence, guess what? That becomes now the new norm. If you do that in your home, you as a Christian know that what Proverbs says. You know what God requires of us. And to do that is to hate them. Not only do you hate your own kids, you hate everybody else around you because they're not going to want to be around those people. Certainly would be a manifestation of a disdain for what God says. It's sinful. Now, Christians aren't perfect, right? We sin. We do stupid things, all of us, ways we shouldn't. Um, This is why we why it's about faithfulness, right? We're to be faithful in doing what God has called us to do. The results are up to Him. God has promised that if we live these ways, the probability, right? Proverbs are probabilities. The probability is that, that this will take place in their life. doesn't mean that God's now required to do what... Um, do for you what you expect him to do for you simply because you think you obeyed him perfectly because none of us do right so we have to develop this this loving discipline in our in our children's lives for the benefit of establishing with them this setting for learning this setting for learning um and some of you who have older kids have done that. You have set those things up, and you ought to be helping those who have younger or who are new to this process. Help them with what you've done um, because you have some things you can share with that. And so this discipleship takes place over time, one to another. Well, in addition to giving a good setting for learning, another beneficial reality to limits or to structure is that it establishes order. Order. Our God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. Chaos. And order is related to self-discipline. It is related to wise living the hard work. You're not going to be, this is an axiomatic principle in life. You will never be someone who is self-disciplined without order in your life. You just will not be. You cannot be self-disciplined in chaos. Your life is chaos. Right? So, If we have this order, it cultivates these characteristics of self-discipline and of of wise living and hard work into our home. 
order does that. Um, And yet, on the other hand, laziness or carelessness or foolishness or the lack of self-control will most likely produce chaos, disaster. Um, In fact, Paul says that order in the home is one of the qualifications for leadership in the church. Right? They... 1 Timothy 3, 4, manage their home well. Part of that is order. Order in the home. In Proverbs 31, the passage that always gets turned to for the wife, you know, the godly woman, here's the woman to aspire to, right? Verses 10 through 31 clearly show this woman was ordered. She was ordered in her living. Right? She set out to do these things. She she planned these things out. She works these things out. She is always thinking and always moving ahead and always doing things for the sake of others in this way. It's an ordered, self-disciplined life. That's the idea. And beneficial limit of loving discipline, biblical discipline being loving, is just that. It brings order in the home. Now, all this weighs heavy on us as parents, obviously, um, but we can be encouraged that some people say oftentimes, well, they're just too small. I can't do that yet. Well, there are certain things you may not do, but with instruction, with practice, children at every level can learn. They can learn to do what you're asking them to do, which is according to their level, right? You're not going to expect the same outcome of a two-year-old as you might of a 12-year-old, But the instruction and the reason for it can be the same. To help them learn submission, self-control, authority figures in their life. Um, If you you don't ever allow your disciples, your children, to fail in the task, you give instruction, you instruct them how to do it, why to do it. If you constantly have to tell them what to do next all day long, that's a life of chaos. They ought to be able to do what you've asked them to do. So it's a standard of orderliness, and the standard that you choose might include different things in your home than it would in somebody else's home. But it's still a standard set that will be the standard you're teaching them about what an ordered life looks like. Whatever that is. Number three. Number three. Third beneficial limit, or benefit to limits, I should say, or to structure, that it protects our disciples from things they can't handle. This is extremely important when it comes to kids in the home and 
our world and the onslaught of all the garbage that's coming at them every moment of every day in our world, let alone at us. There is so much from our world that our children are not equipped to handle as early as it seems to be coming at them. Some of you are in the public school systems and you see it at infinitum. You see kids who have been exposed to the most heinous things that only adults, if ever should be exposed, should be exposed to that. And yet children are being exposed to things they should not be with the advent of the internet and with the advent of TV programs and with the advent of, Hey, that's the electronic babysitter. I don't have to do anything anymore. There's all kinds of things that are coming at them that they cannot handle. And yet the Bible tells us as Christians, we are to be in the world, but not what? Of it. Not to be of it. We're to be in it, but we're not to be of it. This is what I said to you a few weeks ago, maybe. It might have been last week too, that my father used to say, you don't isolate children, you insulate them. Well, this is part of that insulation. This is the keeping our children, protecting them from things they cannot handle and should not have to handle. Children are just that. They're children. Because of that, they're naive. They're gullible. The Bible says foolishness is bound up in their heart. It shouldn't surprise us when they act foolish. Because we know it's there. Foolishness is bound up in the heart, but the rod of the correction drives it far from it. Right? Bad company corrupts good morals, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says. Well, I always laugh when somebody says, well, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm involved with these friends of mine because I hope to be a Christian influence on them. Well, that's a noble thought. It's a great thought. But far too often, far too often, because you're unwilling to stand alone and be rejected by your friends, you become like them. You don't influence them, they influence you. Because nobody likes rejection, especially kids. And so kids don't yet have the capacity sometimes to process the evil in our world with the maturity that you ought to be able to process it as an adult, particularly as a Christian adult. And there are areas which in and of themselves may not be evil, may not not be evil by way of what it is, but still an area in which we need to protect them, at least for a time because of their immaturity. Right? You don't you don't do like when you go to a hotel and you, you come out your door in the morning and sometimes there's a newspaper left at the front at the door. You don't give your kids access to I would hope you don't give them access to whatever the world's throwing at them at any given time, no matter what, open access to the internet and anything they want to find. Right? Open access to movies, whatever they want to watch. Open access to TV programs, whatever they want to do. Open access to the gaming system today, which is online with quote-unquote friends from across the globe. 
But it's just a game. No, it's a game that's involving people that you know nothing about. Nothing. You don't know what they're saying. You don't know what, what's, what conversations are going on unless you're sitting there at, at that very moment. And so exposure to that kind of excessive sinfulness from others is not good. Information concerning sensitive topics in sexuality. I mean, our world's talking about erasing the term sex now. We are all just gender. Whatever you choose. Sex doesn't define you anymore. Gender does. In the schools, that's what kids are being told. Is it any wonder that our new president could sit and say to the country, if a 10-year-old or if an 8-year-old says, I want to be this, they ought to be given the opportunity and freedom to be able to express that. What's that? And it's not out there, it's here. Yeah. Why? Because exposure lack of boundaries, lack of protection, the real desire to actually hate these children. The younger the child, the more training they need to know how to use their time. The younger they are, the more training they need to know how to use their time. Let's look at another one. In addition to good setting for learning, establishing order, providing protection. Number four, beneficial limits. This structure that we're called to bring upon them or we hate them. This structure, this limit, prepares them for the limits of life situations. Prepares them for the limits of life situations. Why? Tells them, listen, Right? We hear the motto all the time. Right? You can be anything you want. Is that true? Absolutely not. Right? No, you can't. You cannot. You cannot be anything you want. Why? Because we live here on this earth. We were created as such. You were created male and female. You cannot be whatever you want. You don't get the opportunity to choose that. The world puts limits on all of that by God's design. You want to be a bird? So try to be a bird. Jump out of the tree. See if gravity works. You see what I'm saying? You can't just simply decide to be whatever you want. And yet that's exactly the world we live in. Right? The limits might be because you're not gifted to do that. You want to be a professional baseball player, but you can't be. Now we have rules in our society just written, just given to us by executive order that now if you want to be the top level girls athlete, you can't even be that anymore. And if you're a really bad guy athlete, maybe you can self-identify as a girl athlete and then you can get what you want. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. You have giftedness that doesn't allow that. Right? Now we live in society that says there is no economic difference. 
And yet the world limits it, right? Income, earning, limits your capability to do things. What about your intellectual capacity, your knowledge? Listen, if you say, I want to be a doctor, and you haven't been educated in doctoring and surgery, I don't want you as my doctor. I don't want the guy flying the airplane to say, yeah, I was last week I was the janitor, but I, today I self-identify as the pilot. I'm going to fly you across the country. I don't want that. Your physical abilities, your health, all these things limit life situations for us. Well, setting structure, setting boundaries for your kids helps them learn that. Helps them learn that. Gives you an opportunity, especially today in our day and age, to open the door for discussion and say, why can't I do that? Why can't I think like that? Well, because this is how God has made you. This is what God says about it. But I've got so many people outside, but the world says this. It really doesn't matter what the world says. God says it this way. God's the one who defines that, not the world. Well, why does so many people in the world say that? Because the world is a sinful place. Because the world sins. We all sin. Unless you know Jesus Christ, guess what? You're going to suffer the consequences because, Joe McNary was even relaying to me this morning, God will not let anyone be held guiltless. So you either stand before God in Jesus Christ, who is the only guiltless one, or you stand on your own, and you will be held not Guiltless. So why is, the reading we, why is the reason we have a lot of adult whining in society, Pete? Here's one of the reasons. People have been said, you can be whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. If you want to be your own boss in a workplace where you have a boss, go ahead. Be your own boss. And so there's so many people who are unprepared for life because the world limits you, period. The world does. Number five, number five. All of this is progressive in one sense because beneficial limits and structure help reveal the need for teaching, right? They expose us to our deficiencies, Boundaries say you can't do that. You can't do everything. You can't go there. There's women's sports. You can't be a boy in women's sports. It's a women's locker room. You can't be a male in a women's locker room. There's a boundary. There's a limit. But you remove that, guess what? Everything's open. It's all good. So these boundaries, these limits, reveal a need for teaching. Every time they bump up against the limits and want something different, fail at it, whatever, it's an opportunity to teach. An opportunity to teach our children exactly what the Bible teaches. Exactly who God is, what God requires, why God requires it, how it's supposed to be implemented, how come we fail so often. It's an opportunity for us to bring up all of those areas 
Why is it I'm so lazy? How come I'm not diligent to do it? Why do I not want to do it? Where's the responsibility? How come I'm a procrastinator and I shouldn't be a procrastinator? It's all an opportunity for us. Open doors for us to teach. Truth be told, far too often we're just lazy, aren't we? It's easier to give in than it is to not. It's easier to adjust the rule or to change it for that moment. How many of you, how many of you ever said this? Okay, just this once. Anybody? Just one time, right? Just this once. And that becomes now a phrase every day. Okay, just this once. Next day, okay, just this once. Especially when whining's happening or some other louder. I'll tell you who the whiner becomes. The whining child becomes the yelling teenager. They become the one who says, I'm, really, Dad? Watch. I'm doing it anyway. So it reveals a need for teaching. But most importantly, most importantly, number six, it exposes their inability to keep the standard and their need for Christ. Limits, structure, all of these things are beneficial because it causes them to realize, guess what? There is rules I can't keep, rules I don't want to keep, and that is an opportunity to help them see why they need Christ. All people are shut up by the law. That's what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 3. The law closes every mouth. Because the law says, here's the standard. How do you measure up? And everybody fails. And so nobody can say, but I did, but I'm better. Nobody. See, that's the thing about God. God doesn't adjust the standard. God doesn't change the standard. God's fence is always there, and it always has teeth. God's law always has teeth. Right? Hebrews chapter 12. He disciplines those whom he loves. There's always teeth there. And that always exposes us to the reality that we need a Savior. And if Christ is our Savior, that we need to go to God and we need to ask for forgiveness and we need to continually be continually asking for forgiveness, knowing that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to continually forgive us. It reminds us of the character of God, the sin, the reality. And sin is not just an act. Sin is a heart issue, isn't it? a hard issue. It's what goes on inside. It's not simply what happens outside. We've all heard the little adage of the little boy who's told to sit down and he says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. He's no less sinful just because he carried out the duty. It's the heart in it. 
So it's by that perfect standard of God that God judges the world. God is not going to judge the world by the standard that man makes or the standard that we have with one another and we look at each other and we judge each other by those standards. He's not going to do that. He's going to judge by His righteous standard. So our disciples, those in our home, when they don't meet God's standard, that's the only standard that matters, we have a loving opportunity to correct them. Loving opportunity to correct them, to interact with them. Let them know about the condition of their own heart so they can come to Christ. And here's part of the beauty of that, because God uses an imperfect vessel in you to apply His standards in their life so that they come to know Christ. And every time you fail, you get the opportunity to go to your children and say, see, listen, I'm not perfect. I fail. But God is sufficient to forgive. Grace. And there are consequences for me. You know, your children sometimes when they get older will say, well, yeah, but you did it this way, Dad, and it wasn't too bad for you. It hasn't ended up too bad for you. I always say, when my kids have said those kinds of things, I say, you don't understand the consequences that I've had to face before the Lord for all that. What you see is the grace of God in my life. But Christ died because of my foolishness. And that's the reality, right? Before anyone can come to Christ, they need to realize they're hopeless. They need to realize they're a failure. So if you have no standard, no boundaries, then the reality is you have no sin, No uncovering of sin, and if you have no sin, you don't need a Savior. And if you have a low standard, then what you produce is Pharisees. Those who can keep the standard, who now think they're righteous in and of themselves, and you don't need a Savior because they're good enough. But if you have God's standard, then you have sin all over the place, And there's a need for the Savior everywhere. So I I hope you can see that parents who do not discipline their children we, we we are not to dis- I'm sorry, we are not to discipline our children simply to change behavior. Right? Or or to, to get them off my back or to push the situation aside or keep them quiet. No, the goal is to be faithful in teaching our children to understand what it means to know and love Christ. That's the goal. Everything we do forces them in that direction. To be obedient to the Word of God. So we've kind of contrasted here, at least for a little while, this unbiblical discipline and this biblical discipline, right? Biblical discipline reflects the character of God. And the character of God that it's reflecting in every way is that He's a loving God. He's a loving God. 
because those standards that God sets are immovable, then it exposes the inability in all of us to keep the standard. It uncovers our depravity. And that just tells us we need a Savior. So biblical discipline points our young ones, our disciples to Christ. That's what it does. Points them to Christ. doesn't point them to Phariseeism. It points them to Christ. And that's really what we want, isn't it? I mean, all of us here this morning as Christians would say, we, we just want to see our kids saved. True. We do want to see our kids saved, then we ought to have a standard around us and in our own lives that points them in that direction towards Christ. And so you have to evaluate your own life. You have to evaluate your own home. You have to think about your own home and what it is and the structures you have in the home that God has given you the freedom to put, to put there. It may be different than some other home, but he's given you the freedom within your home to set it. Is it directing them toward their need for a Savior? They may reject that. They may turn their back on that and say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with it. They'll answer for that, obviously, in eternity. But you can stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I told them what you said. I worked to live out what you said. All the failures and all the foibles and all the troubles that I had, you were gracious. You were gracious. But I just wanted them to see Christ. I just wanted them to see Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal. 